0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry and commonly as of HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for a better part of oh, 80 plus something years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift. Uh, Wayne, on the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world. There might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere.
2: Well, absolutely, and uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa and South America, in some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness Uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, We have local partners on the ground that work below the radar and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country, but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness. And they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year, we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, in jail somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of jesus and through a series of miracles he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family uh... the stories don't always end that way we know that there are people that are arrested beaten and sometimes killed because they follow jesus uh... one of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite And his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half naked at night, uh, no home, no family, there was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door, and a Christian family took him in, and uh, healed his wounds, and fed him, and clothed him, and got him into school. Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language, and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those, so they won't be recognized, and we offered to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So th- this is why I think we can learn something. You know we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job or even your life.
1: Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like. Um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years and, and and maybe perhaps that sense of of purpose that is motivated by uh, results motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve him above above all else um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in, in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of what almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message. And we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that, that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they?
2: Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture, Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic secular society in this country.
1: And as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. Uh, Great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it. Um, you can do so by going to reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse
2: campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto. And if you go to our website, you would be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transformed them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I refuse, this is a call to the church in America to take a stand, to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street.
1: And again, information available on the web at ReachBeyond.org. That's ReachBeyond.org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area through Amazon.com and, of course, through a ReachBeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He is known as the
1: leader of the Nation of Islam. He is Louis Farrakhan. Well, some insights into not just Louis Farrakhan, the man, but the Nation of Islam, one of the nation's leading experts in this arena. He is... a. Apologist Dr. Jerry Buckner, many KFAX listeners know him best, as the host of the widely popular Contending for the Faith broadcast, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. He is a pastor, counselor, lecturer, as we mentioned, an expert in the arena of cults, and most notably the nation of Islam. And Dr. Buckner, great to have you back on Lifeline.
3: Brother Craig, it's always a blessing to be on your program, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, be a part of the blessing today.
1: You and I first met, my goodness, it's probably upwards of 15, 20 years ago when Louis Farrakhan at the time, as part of the Nation of Islam, was putting together what was then termed the Million Man March on the Walt Mall in Washington, D.C. And so some folks might be familiar with Louis Farrakhan around the periphery or the Nation of Islam. Before we get into some of the rhetoric, maybe you can start by giving us some perspective on the history of the Nation of Islam.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Well, the the history of the Nation of Islam started back in the 1930s. There was a leader by the name of Wallace D. Ford, who uh, became the incarnation of God, as they say. And he uh, came to Detroit, Michigan, and had a program of uh, hate as well as uh, you know, dealing with the issues of racism and ministering to the poor people and the poor blacks, and he mentored uh, Elijah Muhammad, who uh, became his protege and follower as well. And then he uh, influenced uh, Malcolm X, who was known as Malcolm Little, and then he influenced uh, Louis Farrakhan. So that's pretty much the history. And again, they started in Detroit in the 1930s. And uh, really was based upon uh, using the Quran as well as the Bible, and they said the Bible has been tampered with, and it's uh, correct in this. far as it doesn't contradict the Quran, so but the Nation of Islam is a cult because a cult is defined theologically and sociologically. Theologically, it simply means anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is God in human form, and it's a cult uh sociologically when it uh separates people from their families, uh their finances, their uh friends, uh, who are Christians, and it just starts to dominate them theologically and uh sociologically. So the nation of Islam is a cult because they deny that Jesus Christ is God in human form and the only Savior of the world, and they basically say that uh, Wallace D. Ford is the incarnation of uh of uh, god in on the earth at that time and so and wallace D. Ford was actually a white man who uh... really came forth as uh, uh... ministering to the black community at the time of the depression when a lot of uh, blacks were looking for a sense of hope and the church was missing and this is the thing that's happening in today the church is missing the thing that is going on today at berkeley is the results of uh, the failure of the church to do its job. And when you see uh, Farrakhan coming into the community and speaking at churches and speaking at the University of Berkeley uh, upcoming event, it, it really, you know, we look at the Jews and we say, man, it's great that uh, someone is, is stepping up to the plate and speaking up. But it should be the churches in the, the Berkeley area and the whole Bay Area coming together and saying we're not going to stand for this. A guy who's coming into the community who uh, perpetuates not only a racism, but says that uh, the white man is the devil and goes forth to say negative things and racist things about Jews. And so we're, we're not against at all uh... you know free speech and you know schools are built upon that where would they talk about and help the students to learn about uh... open differences and opinions and whether it's related to politics religion or philosophy or psychology and science and debates but when free speech carries with it hate and it carries with it separatism which the nation of islam teaches Then someone has to step up, and that should be the church. And because the church has failed to do it, it's a problem. And one other note, uh, Craig, I want to say that uh, there is no difference between bringing in the Ku Klux Klan, you know, and bringing in uh, Louis Farrakhan because they both teach hate, they both teach separatism, and they both teach uh, superiority of their own race. So we really got a serious problem here.
1: I'm curious, looking at some of the history, particularly from a theological standpoint of the teachings of the nation of Islam, Dr. Buckner, it almost seems like it, it it's a bit of a hybrid of some aspects for convenience sake of Christianity, some aspects more so for convenience sake of the teachings of Islam. And then there's this weird dynamic in here that, for example, you don't find this in any of the five pillars of the faith, so-called, within Islam, but it certainly is very apparent within the teaching of the nation of Islam that talks about, at one time, the earth and moon being the same, and this was created by a mad scientist of the sky. Explain to us a little bit about some of the theology behind this religion.
3: Yes, well, this that's very true. There um the nation of islam is basically a religion based upon people looking for a sense of identity and belonging and because the church has not developed a sense of addressing racism and dealing with the issues of a sense of belonging and identity uh... the the nation of islam and especially louis farrakhan has come forth with this sort of thing but uh, the teachings of the Nation of Islam is based upon uh, solely and wholly upon a teaching of the Yakub myth. And it's a basic teaching in their belief system is that Yakub myth. Yaqub was one of the council of 24 black uh, scientists. And he rebelled against Allah and the council, causing havoc. And he created the white race as a race of devils to strike back at the black race. And Elijah Muhammad said that the black people are not sinners, but that the white man is at fault for their problems. So this whole Yakub myth was a thing that the nation of Islam started to develop, because once you uh, destroy the belief in the validity and historicity and authenticity of the Bible, which it says God created man and his image and in his likeness you have to come up with something else like some type of myth and this is what they came up with and it's just uh, ludicrous but also it's demonic and it's an abominable when you think about it
1: this has also been used as a strong means to as we suggested in our introductory remarks this afternoon dr buckner to to drive a very strong wedge between the races, educate us, if you would, a little bit of some of the nature of the teachings of the nation of Islam, where perhaps in a post-environment, following many of the laws that we saw of separation of blacks and whites on the heels of the Emancipation Proclamation of the late 1800s, this seems to be a religion that very much teaches continuance of separation of the races, does it not?
3: Yes, it does. Uh, The problem with the Nation of Islam, like all racist groups, they uh, build their whole foundation upon uh, emphasizing uh, race over grace. They emphasize uh, physical pigmentation over biblical revelation. They emphasize the issue of skin over sin. And the only color that God is concerned about, that the Bible talks about, is the color red, and that's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. And the only race that God really emphasizes is uh, running the race of faith. And so when it comes to the nation of Islam, because of this Yaqub myth that was uh, the foundation of their teaching, they have to live with that uh, damnable teaching. And so they're stuck with it, and they have to say that the blacks are, uh... you know superior to the white man and that the white man is the devil, and the jews are you know the workers of satan and that sort of thing uh... as well you know one time i was on issues etc and they uh... interviewed me and then about five or six uh... members of the nation of islam uh... came on the air and And I was letting them know that, you know, uh, the Bible teaches against racism. It teaches against separatism. It teaches against the Yaakov myth and on and on and on. And then I also told them that, you know, the only way that we are going to get into the kingdom of God is to be a people that love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us. If we don't do that, then Jesus said through John, if we hate our brothers, there is no eternal life in us. So it's a dangerous thing to hate one another and as well as to separate yourself from one another because the Bible says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God hating your brother.
1: If you've just joined our conversation on this edition of Lifeline, a visit with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He's a well-known Bay Area apologist and also host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. When we come back, understanding more about the teachings of Islam and just to whom does this message resonate. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest today. He is one of the Bay Area's, if not the nation's, premier Christian apologists. He hosts his own radio program, in fact, right here on KFAX, Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., called Contending for the Faith. He is a pastor, counselor, lecturer, and expert on the cults. He's Dr. Jerry Buckner. We're talking about Louis Farrakhan, a bit of a shadowy figure who has been the head of the Nation of Islam for some 30 years now. And as much as this, uh, religion seems to appeal to an interesting hybrid of individuals, at least from a theological standpoint. Dr. Buckner, I'm curious that when you drill down to some of the bizarreness of the teachings, again, this notion that it's a convenient hybrid of the teachings of Islam, the some of the precepts of Christianity, and then a bit of well, in fact, a solid bit of science fiction thrown in. When you put all of this together, to whom ultimately does a message like this resonate?
3: Well, that's very true. I think that Uh, A message like this resonates, uh, and it really has its influences, uh, particularly upon the uh, black community and those who are ignorant of the word of God. You know, Hosea tells us that uh, people are destroyed. The People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's not bad being ignorant. It's only bad when you want to stay ignorant. And I think that happens is that when... Uh, the black community as not, and I'm not saying all, but a large segment, I, because I'm out there doing teaching in churches, and I'm uh, pastoring pastors, and one thing that I've learned is that the uh, many of the black churches, a lot of them don't know anything about the essential doctrines. Malcolm X, he used to go uh, in front of the black churches after uh... you know they would get out of service around one o'clock and he would always stand outside the churches and he would uh, say well, what did you learn today what did you get out of the message and many of the members would say you know we uh... don't uh... know what the message was that much about but he sure did preach because they were so much into the emotions and malcolm x used to say come on over to the mosque, and we'll teach you some things and he said that he got most of his recruits from Uh, ignorant blacks who never learned anything in the black church. And I think that that's very true, not only then, that Malcolm X said, but today as well. Uh, We have a famine in the land regarding the word of God, that people are ignorant regarding the truth of the word of God. And I think that uh, when you think about Louis Farrakhan, and I think the name fits him well, Farrakhan, he is conning the people. And Farrakhan uh, not only gets to blacks who are ignorant of the word of God, and he'll quote the word of God, but he also quote the Quran. But he also addresses the issue of racism because the attraction to the Nation of Islam is huge, and and the principles of those attractions is not only people being ignorant towards the essential doctrines, which is the major issue, but also that Louis Farrakhan addresses racism and oppression. Uh, and a lot of the churches fail to uh, do that, and especially the white churches. And then a tremendous influence that he has on the black community by which he goes in and he influences the young black men who never had strong black role models in their lives. And and Farrakhan comes in and he, he preys on young black men who have not had strong role models and strong fathers in their lives. And he comes in and adopts them like a surrogate father and mentors them. And 80% of the people in the church, the black churches today, is composed of uh, black women. And in the uh, mosque, the black mosque, 80% of the people there are black men. So he's been very successful in uh, reaching those who are ignorant of uh, the Word of God, as well as reaching those who are desiring uh, a Father figure, and this is a real wake-up call for the Church, that we get out there and reach men, because they are evangelistically out there with their bean pies and their bow ties, but it's all a big lie, because they're doing it in the name of Satan, really, because it's not of Christ. And so our job as Christians is to not only get out there and evangelize, but to minister to the total person and to also give people the essential doctrines, which people are starving for and people don't know. When I go to churches and do teachings on the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Christ, they're just ignorant in these areas, and I can see why the cults and the nation of Islam is getting them.
1: Right, let's right, let's drill down on a couple of points here. First, I think there are aspects of some of his teachings insofar as it relates to a sense of self-respect, self-responsibility, self-reliance that I think can be good and be healthy. Certainly, those sorts of teachings ought to be taught to, to everyone in the country, regardless of socioeconomic status or race. That said, you spoke earlier of this notion of it kind of being a hybrid of, of false teachings, Uh, of Islam, uh, a mixture of distorted Christianity and and a bit of science fiction uh, tossed in for good measure. Ultimately, as you're describing it, Dr. Buckner, it seems as if then the, the core group to which the Nation of Islam's message seems to resonate are angry, uneducated and disenfranchised individuals. So if that be the case, then why would he be invited to come and speak at a prestigious location like the university of california at berkeley college campus
3: well that's a very good question i think there's many reasons for this i think one of the uh, major reasons is that uh, when you look at the background of uh, who's inviting louis farrakhan it's the black student union and The black student union, uh, they have many people that's a part of that black student union that are Muslims themselves, black Muslims themselves. And so they are weaving him in, and they are involved with, well, let me put it this way. This is a very important point, that the name of God today is not spelled G-O-D in a large segment of the black community. The name of God is spelled B-L-A-C-K, and that means black. And so the black community, and we see this from the Million Men March as well, is really was based around uh, black unity and black oneness and black uh, commonality. And so the Black Student Union is talking about these things that you mentioned the self-determination self-esteem and they saying to bring him in on all of that but i can tell you this that if we don't teach people uh... self-esteem from a biblical standpoint from the way that jesus said because when you come to know jesus you learn about true self-worth and self-esteem and self-determination Jesus said to deny yourself, notice that, and take up your cross and follow me. When you put emphasis upon self-independent of Christ, it's doing more damage to people than good for people. So when you get these groups together, like the Black Student Union, and you get the African Black Coalition Conference, you got a lot of people that are involved with that, are members of the Nation of Islam, and when you see a breakdown of uh, you know, essential doctrines among them. And you also see universities that have become so liberal and uh University of Berkeley, you can you cannot get a PhD. One time I was when I was working on my doctorate degree I had looked at the Berkeley and you can't get a PhD in theology but you can get a PhD in witchcraft. <laughs> and the reality is that if you can get a PhD in that area What's the difference between bringing in a Louis Farrakhan and getting a Ph.D. in witchcraft and teaching all the students there? So it's a breakdown of our universities, and they've become so liberal that everything is coming in. And then when somebody like a Louis Farrakhan comes in, and then you can bring in uh, Hindu leaders, you can bring in Buddhist leaders, and you bring in all these people, and people are saying, well, you bring in these people, how come Louis Farrakhan can't come in? So it's a breakdown of the universities, it's a breakdown of these black student unions, it's even a breakdown of the churches, because it shouldn't be the Jews that are the number one leaders and that are at the university saying, we don't want Louis Farrakhan there. It should be the churches. And Walter Martin hit the proverbial theological nail upon the head when he said so profoundly as my mentor, he said one time to us as a student, The cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Because the church has not paid their bills, Uh, the cults have come in and paid them for them. And so when you think about the universities historically, many of them, you think about uh, Yale, you think about Harvard, uh, you think about Princeton, all these schools started with a Christian foundation. And even USC was started by a Methodist church. And so, but they've gotten so far away from them. And one other note, uh, Craig, I was asked to come to Grambling University many years ago. The Southern Baptists had me go out there and do a lecture to the administration as well as the students. I was a keynote speaker. And some of the staff was crying out to me and saying, Dr. Butler, we've gotten so far away from the historic Christian faith at Grambling, that is just pathetic. They were crying in front of me saying, we need to get back to this thing because the school is falling apart. And I would say those sentiments that they were saying to me is a sentiment for all of the schools. There's a breakdown of our our churches, our schools. And, you know, Craig, when the church is not doing their job and there's a failure there, then there's a failure in the whole community and a failure nationwide.
1: If you've just joined our conversation, a visit today with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He is the host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. here on KFAX. He is also a Bay Area apologist. We'll come back to more comments from Dr. Buckner and get some insights finally to the question as to, as this message resonates with the disenfranchised Why is it that educated people really don't see the real story behind the story of the nation of Islam? All that and more as our conversation with Dr. Jerry Buckner continues on this edition of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome
1: back to the conversation. If you've tuned in a bit late, we're visiting, of course, with a familiar voice here on KFAX. He is Dr. Jerry Buckner. He hosts the wildly popular Contending for the Faith broadcast, Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Great destination point to tune in. He is one of the nation's leading Christian apologists and has been gracious enough to join us today to offer us some insights on Dr. Louis Farrakhan and the nation of Islam. Dr. Buckner, before the break, you were articulating part of the understanding of the appeal, the attraction of the nation of Islam, is this notion that, number one, it's a bit of a hybrid of religion, so people that are thoroughly ignorant of the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith might easily or quite readily be, be pulled into this vortex of his teaching, because he will quite liberally quote from Scripture, almost leading you to believe that this guy knows, from a theological standpoint, what he's talking about. But then, too, I have to wonder, when you when you see statements like this, here's a quote from Representative John Conyers of Michigan, member of the House of Representatives, defending Louis Farrakhan, saying, quote, I'm honored to join this distinguished leader who gives us hope and understanding to people all over the world of every color, of every religion, and of every political belief. Close quote. Now, if that be the case, why is it that we have, quote, from Louis Farrakhan, where he refers to Jewish people as devils and demons, uh, and and in every foul fashion, demonizes people of the Jewish faith. That hardly seems to be in harmony with the notion that he gives hope and understanding to people, quote, of every religion, close quote.
3: That is so true. Um, I think that what happens with so many people, Craig, is that uh, they are into their uh, positions uh... because people have put them there and it's kind of like a parallel to uh... pilot you know he gave in because he was a people's person you know and he didn't want to rock the boat and so he was a puppet by the people and because he was run more by the politics and of the day and and the red tape. And so we got people who are educators and politicians and even people in churches today who don't want to rock the boat. And Dr. Walter Martin said it so eloquently he says, The church today suffers from an endemic disease known in the Latin as non rockabotus ecclesiasticus. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a long word. And that's translated in English to don't rock the boat. And Walter Martin used to say, I don't just want to rock the boat, I want to sink it for Jesus Christ. And that's the way I am as well, being mentored under such a great mind. But this is the thing that... People are living we're living in a day and age, as Paul talked about uh, to Timothy as a young minister in Second Timothy chapter four, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears and the truth of God shall be made into mythology. So we're living in a day and age where people don't want to lose their positions like Pilate. Pontius pilot. They don't, they don't want to rock the boat, they're tickling people's ears because they want to be re-voted again, and I think they lack not only uh, biblical uh, essentials, but they lack discernment, and they want black unity, and whatever that costs, they're going to do it, because, like I said at the beginning of the show, in, the, in a large segment of the black community, and it's sad to say, I'm an African American myself but it's sad to say I've seen this and it makes me almost puke that the name of God is B-L-A-C-K and there is also a a black African-American Bible that's out now I have it in my library and it puts everybody in the Bible from Adam to John, you know, uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden to John uh, in the book of Revelation and even God and Jesus Christ is black because we're moving more towards being involved with blackness than, you know, the Word of God. And that's just not only uh, makes a person sick, but then who really loves the Lord and loves the Word of God, but it's uh, something that we got to stand up against, Craig. Yeah,
1: and, and toward that end, help me understand something here. Given how readily available some of the outlandish remarks and comments that Farrakhan has made, not just at these so-called Savior Day events that he hosts annually back in Chicago, but amply across television, anytime a microphone seems to be in front of him, he has something over the top to say, and the degree of of divisiveness and and the and the horrificness of the of the the uh, racially. Charge comments that he makes, it would seem to me, Dr. Buckner, that inviting somebody like Farrakhan out to speak at UC Berkeley would be like suggesting that we need to hire uh, David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, to come out and and give a speech on race relations. Why does this seem to be so out of context or inappropriate?
3: Yes, it's it's a good point. Well, what has happened, Craig, is this, and I've followed uh, Louis Farrakhan closely. What he has done within the last uh, I would say uh, four or five years or so, especially after he had the prostate uh, cancer problem. Uh, he has uh, toned down a little bit and he's become he's become more, eclectic and syncretistic, where he realizes that the only way that I'm going to get into the black community is to become eclectic and syncretistic and to blend in. And so i got to tone down my rhetoric, my hateful rhetoric. So he comes in and he quotes some of the Bible to get black people excited, and then he plays on their emotions. But he's downplayed a lot of the things that he said in the past. And so he goes forth before people, and a lot of people in churches, and uh, he starts to talking in an eclectic, syncretistic way. And so they're buying into this, but really, underneath it all, Farrakhan has not changed those historic views and those things he said he's just toning down because his game plan is to get into the black student union with ignorant black people to get into black churches with ignorant black people to get into the black community with ignorant black people he preys on ignorance And he goes into it with a soft tone involved in what he's doing because he knows that he has to be very careful now. This is one of the reasons why before Khalil Abdul-Muhammad was ounced out of the movement. Of course, he died of an aneurysm a while back, but he shut down Khalil Abdul-Muhammad because of the fact that he felt that he was kind of like being more... Uh, Too racist at what he was doing, but Kaliba Abdul Muhammad was saying, "Wait a minute! Now this is the way we've always been. We've always been a strong at our uh, at our views of the white man and the Jews." But he was blown away because he sees that Farrakhan has changed because he's trying to tone down. It's not that he's changed where he's literally changed his views. He's just changed and toned it down because he wants to get into the segments of society to brainwash them to become members of the nation of Islam.
1: And sadly, it seems as if to the greatest degree, you've used Dr. Buckner the word "ignorant" several times. Uh, it seems to be that to the greatest degree, the group of people um, to which he is uh, the most appealing are those who are biblically illiterate who do not understand the fundamental teachings of Christianity, uh, who are easily swayed by some of the, the clever talk and the appearance, kind of the glossing over of what seems to be kind of, again, this hybrid of Islam and Christianity together, of which we know there can be no such thing. And as a result, even the likes of J. Alfred Smith buys into all of this, suddenly seeming as if we're all on the same page together, when in fact anything could be farther from the truth.
3: Oh, that's so true. It's so sad that uh, I know that Jeff Smith and I have had some collisions in many other areas. But uh, some of the listeners may not know this, but they had a fun- they had they allowed the funeral of Yusuf Bey to take place at the Allen Temple Church, and I had uh, one of my friends had a chance to go there, and he reported back to me when he was there, and they had a picture of uh, Yusuf Bey on the wall. And uh, giving him uh, respect and homage and saying he's a great leader, and this guy was just a split image of it, Elijah Muhammad, duplicating his his teaching, but also taking advantage of thirteen and twelve-year-old girls, impregnating them, and how in the world could you, a person, allow somebody like a Yusuf Bey to come into? Uh, to be uh, funeralized in his church and have pictures up of him uh, praising him for stuff that he did.
1: Well, and here's a guy who who died while in prison on a felony conviction of uh, multiple counts of child molestation. We know ultimately of what happened to uh, your Muslim bakery in Oakland and in Richmond and the whole situation there imploding um, with uh, with the death of a well known Bay Area reporter and and in the end. Dr. Bucker, I'm reminded of a simple yet very profound um, statement and that is that light and darkness cannot dwell together and there is a sad case of an attempt to try and make that happen.
3: Well, that's so true and the scriptures is very clear about that, Craig and 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 Jesus uh, said either you are for me or against me and we got to stand either on Jesus side or the side of the nation of Islam because the nation of Islam is eclectic as you said earlier and they even uh bring into their teaching some of the stuff of the Jehovah's witnesses but Jesus said how can two uh you know uh be together uh you know they cannot stand together a house divided against itself cannot stand and then Amos tells us in Amos 3 and 3 uh, how can two walk together unless they agree? And then Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 bad company corrupts good morals. And the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel in the Old Testament over and over and over is when they compromise. And this is a real wake up call that I want to say to churches that may be listening to this program tonight uh, that anytime we sell out, like the children of Israel did, to the out. Uh, company people, the people that were outside of the company of, of Israel. And they started to worship their gods, and they started to associate with them. What it brought upon them was the judgment of God. And so we dare not go there, because if we do and we compromise and we sell out, the judgment of God will come upon us just like it did the children of Israel.
1: Dr. Jerry Buckner, host of Contending for the Faith, is broadcast again Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX.